Uh, Open up your Bibles to the book of Judges. We finish our series this morning in Judges, and we're we're gonna go to Judges chapter 17. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the time that we've had to worship in music, uh, God, to worship in giving. And Lord, now I pray that you will bless this time of worship through the word. So use the preparation that I've made, God, and hide me behind the cross. God, may the words that come out of my mouth be a blessing and a challenge uh, and inspirational and correctional as it is needed to those who hear it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we come to the last portion of Judges this morning, and we're going to look at chapters 17 through 21. It's the last five chapters. Interestingly enough, in the last five chapters of Judges, there are no judges. Now, if you've been reading ahead, and I hope that some of you have been, um, you probably knew that already. If you haven't been reading ahead, that might surprise you. Why? It's the book of Judges. It's all about the Judges. How in the world can you have a book about Judges and in the last five chapters have no Judges? Samson, who we looked at last week, was the last judge that God raised up in the book of Judges. Now, you may recall if you were here last week that something was a little different in that pattern of God raising up judges when he brought Samson into the world to be a judge. Prior to that, God's people would go into a cycle of sin where they sort of turn their back on God. God would let them suffer the consequences of their sin. At some point, they would turn in repentance and say, God, forgive us. And God would bring a judge in his mercy to restore them back and to lead them and rule over them and to provide protection. That was the pattern. But with Samson, God's people did not turn to God. They did not repent. They did not ask God for mercy. But God, in his mercy, showed up to the potential would-be parents of Samson and said, I'm going to bless you with a child. He's going to grow up to be a judge in Israel and deliver them from the Philistines. That was God acting in his mercy on the behalf of his people, but his people were not any longer asking for God's help or his intervention. They had begun making peace with the condition of sin. They had begun making peace with the oppression of sin. And after Samson died in uh, uh, Judges chapter 16, there's a particular phrase that God repeats four different times in these last five chapters that I want to read together and point out to you. So in Judges chapter 17, verse six, we read this. In those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Turn over to chapter 18. Chapter 18 
we read, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Chapter 19, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days when there was no king in Israel. And now turn to the last chapter of Judges 21. And the final verse of the book of Judges, chapter 21, verse 25, we read this. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Four times, God points out in these final five chapters of Judges, in those days, there was no king in Israel. And because of that, everyone decided, I'm just going to do whatever I feel like doing. I'm going to do whatever I feel like is right. And church, what you're going to see in these last five chapters of Judges is that when we reach a point where we have no king, and we want to just do what is right in our own eyes, that we are likely to do something that we will see in these five closing chapters. And what is that? We are likely to create a religion that pleases us, a religion in our own image. We will make a religion that satisfies us. Now, you might think to yourself, why in the world, if, if you've decided that you're not going to follow God, if you've decided that you no longer want to ask God for forgiveness, if you've decided that you no longer want to acknowledge that God has a right to lead and direct your life, if you have decided that, then why in the world would you want to make a religion that pleases you. Why not just abandon it altogether? Isn't that what atheists do? Let me read a passage of scripture. I'll put this on the screen for you. Ecclesiastes 3.11. Solomon writes this, that, that God has made everything beautiful in its time. And this is the important part of this verse. Also, he has put eternity in our hearts. Do you understand what, what Solomon is saying there, church? God has put eternity in the heart of every person that has ever been born into this world. There is something innate that God created in us from the foundation of the world that understands that there is something larger, something bigger, something more enduring than us and this moment in time in which we are living and breathing. Everybody that has ever walked the surface of this planet knows that is true. Now, some choose to acknowledge God. Some come to the point where we realize that there's something bigger than me and we realize through the prompting of the Holy Spirit and the exposure of brothers and or believers in Christ who explain Jesus to us, we come to realize that that bigger thing is God. 
And we come to him and we humble ourselves before him. We receive salvation, which is his gift of his sacrifice on the cross for our sin. We come to that point. But there are others who simply will not acknowledge that God is God. And yet, God has placed eternity in the heart of every man. And so, well, you say, well, aren't there, aren't there atheists? And, you know, they just turn their back on God. They don't even acknowledge God. So why would they try to create a religion that is pleasing to them? Because of Ecclesiastes 3.11. Did you know, that some of you may, but I, I bet a lot of you don't. Did you know that, that there is a movement among people who are acknowledged atheists to have basically what amounts to a church service? How many of you are aware of that? There's a few of you. It's actually, there's a name for it. Started in, in uh, England, it's called Sunday Assembly. Odd choice of time, huh? Sunday morning. Atheist across the globe and even in this country have begun to try to duplicate a church service on Sunday morning of all times called Sunday assembly. Now they don't acknowledge God, but they're creating a religion that is pleasing to them. Satanist. You know that, that there is a church of Satan. Do you know that? There's a church of Satan. Scientology. They don't acknowledge God as God, but they have their own religion. And it's a religion that, that pleases them. Uh, some of you, I mean, and listen, there's been a lot of fruitcake, a lot of, lot of weird kind of um, uh, offshoots of different things out there. There was one that was uh, called Heaven's Gate. Uh, now, if you're my age or older, you might remember that. If you're younger than me, you might not. But how many of you remember that, Heaven's Gate? Heaven's Gate was a group of people in California that thought that uh, a flying saucer was hidden behind a comet and as that comet was coming to the, to, uh, to the earth and, and getting near the earth, that that flying saucer was going to beam them up and take them off to do who knows whatever. They went and, and as, as the comet got closer to the world, they went and they rented a place in Santa Fe. They all drank some weird mixture of stuff that killed them because they were preparing their spirits to, to leave this earth and go onto this uh, flying saucer that was behind the Haley Bop comet. When we don't acknowledge that there is a God that we must answer to, no matter what we try to do, we are still going to attempt to establish a religion that pleases us because God has placed eternity in our heart and there's something, there's a void there that can only be filled when we acknowledge something larger. Now, when we start to do that, I want to cover a few things based on what we read in, in these final five chapters that I think whenever we start to create a religion in our own image, that pleases us, it will, it will contain one, two, or maybe all of these elements. The first one is, is that it will please our sight. If you look at chapter 17, verse five, again, there's no more judges. 
Uh, Samson was the last judge. And in 17.5, we're, we're introduced to this man named Micah. Micah had a shrine and he made an ephod and household idols and he consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. Now, I find it interesting that they're not acknowledging God anymore. They're not pleading with God for mercy, but there was something in Micah's spirit that would simply not be satisfied until and unless he had some form of religion. And what we see is because of what he made, he made an ephod and he made an idol. We have to have a religion that in our own image that pleases our sight. You know why? Because we just have this hard tendency of not trusting what we can't see. And this is, this is the paradox of faith, isn't it? We don't like to trust what we can't see. Now, we, we have this, this thing, the scientific method, and the scientific community has sort of laughed and scoffed at the things of faith for, for many decades now and, and maybe even a, 100 or 200 or 300 years, however long that's been going on. The scientific community tries to disprove the things of faith because if I can't see it, then I don't believe it. And we have fallen into this trap in far too many places in, in our culture and even in the church. I'll see it or I'll believe it when I what? I'll believe it when I see it. In other words, if I, if I can't see it, if I can't personally see it, then I won't believe it. Satan knows that. Satan knows that we have this weakness about not wanting to trust what we can't see. In fact, I, I'll tell you that he uses that to stir up trouble in churches all the time because there are a lot of churches that have trouble following their leadership because they didn't see how that decision got made. Well, if I didn't make the decision, then I don't like it. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. Happens in churches all the time. Why? Because I didn't see it. I didn't get a chance to, to do it. We don't trust what we can't see. And so we fall into this trap of if I can see it, then it's good. But you know what something, church? Your lies cannot, your eyes can lie to you. Your eyes can lie to you. You know, we saw, we saw a video clip last night or last week, kind of a, a silly clip of, of SpongeBob, but it was a great illustration and one that I'll, I'll sort of use again today. If a fisherman goes fishing, how many of you fish with just an empty hook? Any, do I have any fishermen in here that go fishing with an empty hook? Well, there's, there's one, one that fishes with an empty hook. I hope, I hope you catch something. <laughs> if, you don't, if you have an empty hook, I hope you got a net because you're probably going to need the net. When you fish, you put something on your hook. Why, why do you do that? Because the fish see something that they like. And, and you know what that, that uh, bait on the hook hides? What does it hide? Hides the hook, right? The bait hides the hook. And so that fish swims up 
It sees something that it thinks it can trust, but it doesn't see what's hidden behind what it can see. And the next thing you know, that fish ain't swimming with his friends and his brothers and sisters anymore. He's in a pan frying up into something scrumptious for us. Now we enjoy that, but I promise you he doesn't. We, we have this problem of wanting to trust what we can see. And church, this is not just an issue for those who are, are, who are ignoring God. This begins to happen even among people who are saying that we're following God. I just don't want to follow him in everything. And so what I want to do is I want to create a religion of things that I can see. I want to know that I can have some measure of control. I want to know that I can evaluate or, or may uh, ensure that what I'm seeing is what I want to see. And so we try to create a religion that pleases our desire to see. But that's not the, that's not the faith that God calls us to. He calls us into a faith that trusts his word and believes his heart is for our good and his glory. So when we start to, to ignore the things of God, we're still going to engage in some form or fashion of religion. It's just not gonna be the one that God calls us to. And one of the ways that we start to do that is we might create something that pleases our own sight. If you look in uh, verse 13 of chapter seven, 17, we're still talking about Micah uh, and Actually, I'll, I'll back up. Uh, let's, let's go back to, to verse uh, 10. Micah run, runs into a Levite who had left Bethlehem. Now, he had consecrated his son. You might remember that already. But he, now he runs into a, somebody who is technically a, a preacher, somebody who is actually in ministry. And Micah said to him in verse 10, dwell with me and be a father and a priest to me and I'll give you 10 shekels of silver per year, a suit of clothes and sustenance. And the Levite went in and then the Levite was content to dwell with the man and the young man became like one of his sons to him. And so Micah consecrated the Levite and the young man became his priest and lived in the house of Micah. And then Micah said, now I know that the Lord will be good to me since I have a Levite as a priest, I know that God's going to be good to me because look, look what I got. Look what I have got. When we start to make a religion that pleases us, a religion in our own image, first of all, it may be pleasing to our eyes. The second thing is it pleases our pride. Pleases our pride. Here, here is Micah who has basically turned his back on everything that God has taught. And yet he finds a guy who has the, the label of a minister, a Levite who is traveling from, from Bethlehem. And he says, hey, 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 come in here, live with me. I'll take care of you. I'll give you some money. I'll give you some food and I'll set you up and you can be my, you can be my preacher. You can be my priest. I'll have my own religion going and God's gonna bless me because I got somebody now who actually did qualify as a preacher. Woo, I got this thing figured out. It pleased his pride. I have figured it out and now God is going 
to bless me. Surely God is gonna bless me. I don't wanna do what he's telling me to do. I don't wanna do it the way he's telling me to do it. I wanna do it how I wanna do it. But because I got some trappings of religion, because I've got something that pleases my eyes, and because now I can say I got my own priest, a real priest, I got a real preacher. You gotta know that God's gonna love this. Even though it went against everything that God had already taught. You know why we want a religion that pleases our pride? Because it puts us in charge. You know what, we, most of us, we really, really, really don't like the idea of, of God being in charge. You know who we want to be in charge? I wanna be in charge. Every person has to fight the battle of who is gonna sit on the throne of your life. Because every life in here this morning, every life of anybody that watches this on video, every life of anybody that you will ever encounter, every life is going to have somebody sitting on the throne of that life. Somebody's gonna be in charge of that life. And you know who everybody wants to be king in their life? Themselves. Everybody wants to be their own king, their own queen, their own leader. And even if it goes against everything that God has said, we can feel good about it because this is the one I chose. This is the one I set up. This is how I created it to be. And now because I like it, I'm pretty sure that God is gonna bless it. And you know what that tells me? We want the blessing of God. Man, do we want the blessing of God. We just don't want the blesser. Hmm. How many of you this morning, I want everybody to raise your hand. How many of you want God's blessing in your life? Raise your hand. You want God's blessing in your life? Okay, that's, we want God's blessing. But you know what it takes to receive God's blessing? It takes being in relationship with the giver of the blessing. It takes being in relationship with the blessor. And being in relationship with the giver of the blessing means being in a relationship where we are doing what he's asked us to do in the way that he's asked us to do it. And we don't want that. We want to do what Micah was doing. We want to set it up the way we want it. We want to see something that we can uh, put our eyes on and know that that's the way I like it. We want to be in charge. We want to design it. We want to be in control of every part and parcel of it. But when it's all said and done, we still want God to bless it. Most of us do not live a life that says, God, what do you want me to do? And then pursue God's blessing by asking him, you, him what he wants you to do. Most of us say, God, this is what I'm going to do. And then we ask God to bless it. It's not the same thing. We cannot live and pursue life the way that we want to, the way that satisfies us, and then say, God bless it. If you want his blessing, if I want his blessing, the way that we receive that is to live in relationship with the giver of the blessing, the blesser himself, and make sure that we're doing it his way in the way that he wants it. So it pleases our sight, it pleases our pride. One other thing that when we make a religion that's pleasing to us, we want a religion that's flexible. Man, we want it to be flexible. You know, kind of whatever 
whatever goes. Uh, if you look in chapter 18, okay, Micah's got this, this little shindig set up. He's got his own little religion going on, this little home religion. He's got an ephod, he's, he's got idols, he's got a priest. And then the spies from the tribe of, of Dan, they, they come in and, and they see what he's got. They see what he's got going on. And remember, there was no king in Israel, so everybody did what was right in their own eyes. So verse 17 of chapter 18, these five men who had gone to spy out the land, they went up and entering there, they took the carved image, the ephod, the household idols, and the molded image. So he had more than one. He had, had a few going on there. And the priest, this is, this is the dude from Bethlehem, the priest stood at the entrance of the gate with the 600 men who were armed with weapons of war. And when these went into Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod, the household idols, and the molded image, the priest said to them, what are you doing? And they said to him, be quiet. Put your hand over your mouth. You know what? I'll tell you what. Come with us. Be a father and a priest to us. Now, this is fascinating. I, just read what they're saying here. Is it better for you to be a priest to the household of one man or that you be a priest to a tribe and a family in Israel? And so the priest's heart was glad and he took the ephod, he took the household idols, he took the carved image, he took his place among the people. Now, skip down to verse 30. And then the children of Dan set up for themselves the carved image and Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh and his sons were priests to the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. And so they set up for themselves Micah's carved image, which he made all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. So here's this priest wandering through the land from Bethlehem, he runs into a guy who's setting up his own religion. That guy, Micah, says, hey, I'll tell you what, let me set you up. I'll give you some money. I'll give you some food. You can be my priest. We'll have our own little thing going on here and we'll all be one little happy family together. And so he says, okay, fine, let's do that. And then five spies from the tribe of Dan come through. They see what Micah's got going and they say, you know what? Tell you what, why don't we take what he's got and let's make it ours? And so then they talk to the, the priest and say, listen, you only got one guy now. Wouldn't it be better for you if you had all of us? We can pay you more. We can, we can make you feel better about yourself. This would be really cool. And the priest's heart was glad. It was glad. You know, when you make a religion in your own image, then it can just flex and morph and move any direction you want to. Why? Because there's no grounding in principle. There's no grounding in the word of God. You know what your grounding is? Whatever makes you happy. Whatever makes you happy. And so he said, you know what? Hey, that's a great idea. And in not only did he make it flexible, so did this tribe of Dan. 
They didn't say, hey, let's, let's start from scratch or let's go back to what God was doing. No, let's just take what that guy's got and let's, let's make that one our own. A religion in our own image can shift and change on the drop of a dime to be whatever we want it to be. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. You, you can turn there if you want to. You don't need to, but... God sort of laid this passage on my heart this morning as I was getting ready for this. And so I, I thought I'd share this in this regard. 2 Timothy chapter 4, reading in verse 2, Paul says to Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince Rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables, but you be watchful in all things, endure affliction and do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. We wanted to be flexible to let us do whatever it is that we wanted to do. Because we don't want to be bound by what God says. We don't like those restrictions. The world doesn't like what they think are God's restrictions. But church, I've shared this with you before. This is nothing new. The restrictions are not there for the purpose of restraint to kill joy. They're there to protect you and keep life happy and satisfying for you. We don't tell kids not to touch the hot stovetop because we're trying to take their fun away. We tell them not to touch the hot stovetop because we know if they do, it's going to be detrimental to them. It's going to damage them. It's going to hurt them. And God puts boundaries. He puts restrictions into our lives that say, don't go in this way. Don't go in that way. Not because I don't want you to enjoy life. It's because I do want you to enjoy life. If you go there or go there, it's going to be detrimental into your life. It's going to do damage. So stay between these boundaries. Stay there. Amen. But no, you know, I've been, I've been reading through, through Jeremiah uh, lately, and you know what God uh, called his people through the prophet Jeremiah over and over again? You know what he called them? Stubborn, rebellious people. Do you know that's what God called his own people through the prophet Jeremiah? They are a stubborn, rebellious people. How do you think we still have a little touch of that today? We are stubborn, rebellious people. We want a religion that pleases us, that is made in our own image, that pleases our sight, that pleases our pride, and lets us flex any old way that we want to go. Why? Because that pleases us. Paul said that day was coming. People won't want to hear what is acceptable, what's not acceptable. No, 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 no. No, we only want to hear what we want to hear. And 
priest, preachers, teachers will fall into the very same trap that this priest in Micah's house did. Hmm, well, if that's what they want, then that's what I'll give them. And so churches all over America and all around the world have priests and preachers and teachers that are standing up and they're delivering a feel-good thing, but it has no basis in the Word of God. You know why? If you want to do that, yeah, go ahead. It's fine. If that's what you want, go ahead. Because our religion is flexible. Our religion, you can do what you want to do. What, as long as it pleases you and you say, you say you love the Lord, it's all good. No church, it's not all good. Because God set the standard, not us. And when we do this, when we try to make a religion in our own image, one that pleases us, it allows us to satisfy our sinful appetites without remorse and without repentance. Hey, you know what? Do whatever. Doesn't matter what God's word says about it. Doesn't matter if it goes against everything that you were taught. Just go ahead and do it. Because as long as you're a good person, as long as you have good intent, you can satisfy any whim, any desire that you want because you've got a religion made in your own image. In Judges chapter 19, I'm not going to read it. You can read it. I suggest that you do. It is a story. The entire chapter is a story of sexual depravity. Just sexual depravity. It was people doing whatever they wanted to do. Why? Because there was no king in Israel. Because people had gotten to the point where they were just going to do what was right in their own eyes. They did whatever they wanted. Paul wrote about this in the book of Romans. This will not be on the screen. I'm going to read it for you. You can turn there if you'd like. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 21, Paul says this, because although they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, let me just stop there for a second because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. How would they know God if they don't believe in God? Because God has set eternity in the heart of every man. Do you remember the Apostle Paul talked about going to a place called Mars Hill? And Mars Hill had an idol that they had, they had created. It was an idol to the unknown God. They, they wanted to make sure they covered all the gods that they knew, but they, hey, I think we might have missed one. And they made an idol to an unknown God. And Paul said, hey, let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about him. Why would they make an idol to an unknown God? Because God has placed eternity in the heart of every man. And whether a person will ever acknowledge that there is a God or not, somewhere in their spirit, they know that there is a God. 
And Paul says, although they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools. Wow, look how smart we are. We only trust what we can see with our eyes. You people who walk by faith, man, that's just nonsense. That's stupid. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Verse 23, they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged, this is, the, this is the important part, verse 25, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. See, God has placed eternity in the heart of every man. No matter how much you try to run from God, no matter how much you try to ignore his teaching, no matter how much you try to ignore what he has said in his word, your heart knows that there is a God. And when you turn your back on what God says in his word, there's only one thing left, and that's for you to be your own king. And we answer to ourselves. And church, I will tell you this morning, that is one of the reasons for the uh, onslaught against authority in our modern world. Everywhere you turn around, people in positions of authority are being denigrated. People in positions of authority are being told they're terrible people. Why? Because if you don't have to answer to any authority that is higher than you, guess who you have to answer to? Yourself. When I don't have to answer to that person, when I don't have to answer to that person, that means I also don't have to answer to a God. I only answer to me. Satan attacks authority because he knows that when we don't think we have to answer to anybody else, that puts us squarely on the throne of our life and takes God out of the picture. And when that happens, we are capable of heinous, horrific, terrible sin. And those things cover all three bases of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Let me share one more verse of scripture with you this morning. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. John said, don't love the world or the things in the world because if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it's not of the Father, it's of the world. I'm gonna ask our worship team to come back to the platform as we get ready to close our service this morning. See, when we try to make a religion in our own image, we're gonna fall into those categories. It's, it's gonna please our eyes, it's gonna please our flesh, or it's gonna please our pride. And God says that those things are not of God. And if those are the things that we desire, then the love of the Father is not in him. Church, do you understand that when you try to make a religion 
in your own image, a religion that pleases you at the expense of pleasing God, then the love of the Father is not in you. I want to look one more time at the final verse of Judges 21, 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That might be the most disheartening conclusion to anything that anybody's ever written, whether it's a book of the Bible, whether it's just a regular book, whether it's a poem. That is such a disheartening conclusion to something that somebody is sharing. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And I think that's the ultimate goal of Satan. It's to get everybody to dismiss what God has said and just do what's right in their own eyes. That is a place that he wants to take every human being. He wants to take every church member. He wants to take even every true believer to a place where, you know what? I don't want to listen anymore to what God says in his word. I want a religion that is pleasing in my own eyes. I want a religion made in my own image that I can make it be whatever I want to. As long as I can have the trappings of religion, then I feel good about it. We can fool ourselves. We can fool some other people, but you can't fool God. And so, you know, I wonder this morning as we come to the end of Judges, are you moving in that direction? Where you are trying to make your own faith that pleases you instead of just basing your life, your choices, your decisions, building a church that is based solely on the word of God. Are you even trending in that? Are you nibbling at the edges of that? Don't live your life this morning in a way that takes you in that direction. Don't finish your life in that place where you satisfy yourself but build distance and barriers between you and the blesser. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't make allegiance to your own self. Make your allegiance today to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So this morning, whether you need to bow your heart and your knee and receive God's salvation that is offered through the cross, or whether you just need to say, Lord, I want to please you. I'm not even sure that I'm trending in that direction, but I want to make sure that I don't. Wherever you are this morning, let's make sure that we don't end up in that last verse of Judges where we are doing what is right in our own eyes instead of pleasing what is pleasing to God. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand. Heavenly Father, as we finish the book of Judges, we've been inspired. We've been corrected. We've been convicted. God, they're there are moments of such incredible victory that is brought through your hand and Lord moments of incredible defeat 
where we just turn our back on you and we ignore you. And Lord, the book of Judges ends in such a discouraging and disappointing place. But Lord, we don't have to end there. That's not where we have to be. It's not where we have to end up. And so God, today, I pray that in this place, as we respond, we will respond in a way that says, God, I need you in salvation or Lord, help me, help me to never get so comfortable with sin. Help me to never get so comfortable with the world that I try to make a religion that pleases me instead of always seeking to please you. God, have your way in every heart and every life. In Jesus' name, amen.